Welcome, everyone. I'm Kara Gormley Matter. I'm back with the bee man, Bernie Maybank, breeder of bees, and the man who has the buzz when it comes to economic development in the Palmetto State. How are you, Bernie? Doing good and looking forward to another podcast. Exactly. I think we've gotten this off to a great start. Obviously, these are very unique times, not only for South Carolina, but the nation uh, dealing with the COVID-19 situation. So we're hoping that a lot of this conversation on the buzz will help bring people together and maybe start circulating some ideas that will help manufacturers and other industry developers in the state. Okay, that'd be good. And so our next guest is James Chavez. He is with the South Carolina Power Team, and we'll get him to discuss the group. But they're the economic development arm of the co-ops in South Carolina. So they're a very important part of economic development in South Carolina. That's right. They touch a huge swath of the population. And we'll be back with James and the buzz in just a second. Welcome back to The Buzz with Bernie, and we're here today uh, to talk a little bit about how we are looking at COVID-19 from an economic standpoint in South Carolina. You know, Bernie, the pandemic has delivered unforeseen consequences, both good and bad, for businesses across almost every sector. And we just really want to help collaborate, help all of our folks in South Carolina think of new ideas and ways to overcome this. That's great. And so the buzz with Bernie today will primarily, for obvious reasons, deal with the coronavirus. Hopefully in future podcasts, we'll deal with more traditional topics. But our our guest today is James Chavez with the South Carolina Power Team. So James, why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself, what you do today, and what you previously did prior to the Power Team. I'm CEO of the uh, South Carolina Power Team. We're we're a Nonprofit economic development organization governed by the 20 electric cooperatives of South Carolina. My predecessor, Ralph Thomas, was here from 1988 until 2013, and then we transitioned. Prior to that, I was a local economic developer. I had started my career really in Georgia, living in the suburban Atlanta area, and then down in South Georgia, Tifton, Georgia, before moving to Clarksville, Tennessee, where I was there for 10 years. And James, you know, the South Carolina Power Team, for those who aren't as familiar, serves about two-thirds of the area of the state and over half of its population. So you do have a wide swath of folks that you touch. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? How has the South Carolina Power Team been impacted by the whole COVID-19 situation? Well, um, hopefully, like your staff, we're working from home. We This is our third week that our team has been working remotely out of the gates really what we try to do is touch base with our industrial members um, as well as our our local economic development folks our regional folks and state contacts to make sure that they knew we were still working and to find out if, if there was anything that they needed what we've tried to do is be a conduit of information especially for our industrial members so all the COVID related information uh, that's being disseminated in various parts of the state agencies we created a microsite within our website that has all that information housed. Uh, we keep pushing that out to our members. Um, then for the cooperatives, we're trying to make sure that we're tracking who's, you know, who's wrapping up actually as part of this and who is um, shutting down so that we know and we can project what power consumption will be like and what its effects are on employment. Okay, and you, you bring up a point I was going to ask you. There's just such a huge flow of information 
on all the new federal programs relating to COVID-19. You say y'all have a, on your website a, a database of information? We do. Uh, you go to sdpowerteam.com. Uh, we've replaced our banner with a COVID <clears throat> banner. You just click on that and it takes you to, to the page. Um, every federal and state resource um, is listed with a link to their the appropriate webpage. We also included a, an employer survey, so trying to get an assessment of the impacts to our employers. Um, and then live today will be a map uh, that shows <clears throat> the data the New York Times is tracking related to COVID cases in, in every state. But by county, you'll be able to look at the number of new cases per day, uh, number of deaths, really so folks can just see what the impact is in their backyard. And do you, uh, do, do you have to be a member to access your website, or can any third party? No, it doesn't matter who the utility provider is. It's open to anybody. It's scpowerteam.com. It really is a great uh, place to find information. Um, you know, James, I'm going to have you put on your economic developer hat for, for now. And can you give us some thoughts on what you think developers, professionals should be doing now to weather the storm and prepare for the future. Um, if folks don't have that strategic plan in place or are trying to retool it because no one could have prepared for this, do you have any thoughts about what folks should be doing now to be prepared for when we get over the hump? The very first thing that I think they need to be doing is being conveners of their leadership. I will say that if, if your economic development organization or chamber of commerce didn't have a seat at the table before, you're probably not going to have a seat at the table now uh, with community leadership. But if you did, and, and most of our communities are play a very strong leadership role within their county or their region, they need to keep people focused on what are we going to do to keep the ball moving? How are we going to take care of our own? How are we going to take care of our own employers and make sure that they're that they know what resources are available to them, that we help make it easy for employers. Those are all things you can do working from home. You know, and technology today makes it so much easier. But as an employer or a small business person, you're you're just trying to figure out how, how to live the day. And if there's somebody that can carry the ball and help make life easy for you, that's a very important role that communities can play, community uh, economic development professionals can play. And are you see, I have a seven-day-a-week subscription to the New York Times. It is just unbelievably gloomy and depressing. Are you, are you seeing that impact in South Carolina, the, the extent to, to which they describe it? And they mainly focus, on, in fairness to them, on New York City and, and places that are very hard hit. Are you actually seeing uh, I, that I, kind of impact in South Carolina? You know, surprisingly, we've had very few closures that we're aware of besides the, the big ones that everybody has heard about. That's actually been surprising, and I hope that that continues and that employers are taking safety measures to make sure that this doesn't spread within their facilities. I did talk to a buddy uh, who's a broker in New York, and it's um, what he described in text is, is almost worse than what we're reading in the paper. It's just devastating. With so switching gears, with so many, with the two huge stimulus bills that have passed, or actually three huge stimulus bills have passed, it's very difficult to keep up with the with the business side of it. They mainly talk about the employee side of it. Were there any uh, new um, um, incentives specific to utilities and specific to manufacturers, with, warehouse distribution? You're talking about the stimulus package, correct? Yeah. Yeah, there is, um, this is kind of out of my lane, but I do know that uh, the electric cooperatives 
um, right now they believe are eligible for funding because we're a nonprofit utility and nonprofits are eligible. Right. So the, the challenge for our folks is that we're going to have so many people that cannot pay their bill. Yes. And we can't shut them off. We wouldn't shut them off. Um, so there may be parts of the state, if this goes on much longer, where some of our cooperatives are going to be um, having to be, be thinking about how they manage their cash flows. I'm, I'm assuming you're all in touch very often trying to hammer these things out because this situation does seem to change, you know, day to day, week to week. Yeah, our cooperative CEOs have been doing um, um, three days a week uh, phone calls on, there's usually 10 issues a, a day uh, as part of these meetings. And then the CEO of our transmission company, our statewide association, Mike Cowick, our distribution arm, and then one transmission maintenance group up in uh, the upstate. We have been talking three days a week because our organizations all report to the, to the cooperatives. So there's a tremendous amount of communication going on. I'm very proud of who I get to serve right now. Our members are first and foremost what we're, what we're about, what they're about. So they're on top of it. And we kind of skipped over this for, let's say, prior to COVID-19. What, what funding sources and what programs does the power team actually op- offer to a manufacturer or warehouse distribution that's looking to locate in co-op territory? What do y'all bring to the table? A couple of things. Back in 2014, when we first adopted our strategic blueprint, we we were able to show in data what the co-ops already knew, and that's that we were not beating our main competitors on price. So we adopted incentivized rates for loads over two megawatts, and the better the load factor, the better the rate becomes, and really created a disparity between us and, and the IOUs to the good for us. And then we also changed the type of cash we can put on the table for projects. So, you know, for a Volvo and a Samsung, prior to 2014, we would not have had the resources to compete for those projects, but today we do. And now they're being served by, you know, Edisto was one of the smallest co-ops in our system and had never had an industrial deal. And now they serve the Volvo campus. Um, it's made a huge difference for us, the resources they've given. The other side, the other thing that we're doing besides cash into projects is, you know, we've committed 42 million over the last six years to do site development um, because we were non-urban and rural. Uh, and now in many parts of the state where the, uh, the new phase of growth for development, we just didn't have sites that were ready or under control. And so we've put a tremendous amount of money into developing and growing sites, developing buildings, getting sites that are actually market ready um, and not just certified. That money has given us a leverage of 160 million from communities and Department of Commerce and other partners to really help help us compete and be ready whenever projects do happen. And that's also part of what we consider incentivizing companies having a, you know, when you take six months of site work off the table for a company, that's a huge incentive right now. You're saving them time, money, and eliminate liability. So those are a big deal. Well, that's very interesting. So why don't we quickly go back over those. The first incentive you you offer is lower manufacturing rates, lower industrial rates for electricity for manufacturers that locate in a a co-op territory, correct? Correct, correct. And then you say you put cash into projects. How how does that work? Do you all have a grant program or grant programs, low-interest loans or grants? 
No, it's a grant program. We cover them with callbacks. So if a company says they're going to utilize 10 megawatts of electric load, they're going to hire 500 people, then within their contract, we tie in a callback provision that makes sure that they hit those numbers, or at least some percentage of those numbers. And if they don't, we, we have the opportunity to call the money back. So what it does is it helps protect our members' money. The way, the, the way our cooperative system works here is each three of us were CEOs of a cooperative. I have a deal. All of us are contributing to my deal on the bet that when there's return to the system, all that money is going to go back to the rest of us. Those proceeds will go back to the rest of us and eventually benefit our members. And so for routine, ignoring a huge project like Volvo, for a routine project, $10 million manufacturing facility, 70 employees, what would be the typical grant range? Is there a typical grant range? No, there really isn't, Bernie. I'd, I'd say, because um, CapEx doesn't necessarily dictate what job creation will look like, it doesn't dictate what electric load will look like. On the low end, I'd say we've done $50,000 grants. On the high end, we've done a million dollar grant for projects that's two and a half, three megawatts. If it's moving the needle for a community and it moves the needle for our system, then there's an opportunity for us to invest in it. As a guideline internally, we also use uh, a net present value evaluation. So we'll look at what the anticipated return to the system is over a 10 year period. And as long as we're whole by year five, then we feel like it's a pretty good bet. And that cash, those grants, 50000 up to a million, can those actually be put into private brick and mortar or they have to go into public infrastructure? How, how flexible are you on the use of it? So our grants are a combination of our dollars and the cooperative's dollars. Our dollars can go into bricks and mortar, can go into public infrastructure, can go into site development. Cooperative's dollars are, can come from two different sources. One is their utility tax credit, which... Bernie, you can talk more about than I can. <laughs> right, and I um, know the public. But their UTC dollars, their UTC dollars have to meet a public purpose. So typically, those go towards public infrastructure, or they can use cash out of their own reserves, and then in that case, the cooperative can put it in any place we would put it. Okay, and the forty-two million dollar site development over the years. Describe that to us. If I'm a real estate developer, obviously my ears perk up on that. How is that? How are those funds used, or can be used? We have not. So we've we've done a few deals that they're really not in partnership with private developers, but we've been able to go in and take care of some costs that they would otherwise bear but are considered public infrastructure. So roads, water, sewer into a site. But just like on a project, they sign a clawback provision that ensures that we're going to get a return on our investment and they're going to do what they said they were going to do. The vast majority of our funds from the site readiness fund have gone to partner with either other cooperatives or with communities. So with cooperatives, two great examples are in Orangeburg, uh, Tri-County Electric uh, took a site that had been under auction for a very long time with the community, we brought the resources to the table and um, took down the property and actually padded 45 acres of that site. It fronts the interstate. It's got mainline Norfolk Southern Rail running right through it. It's a perfect industrial site. And that overall project was $8 million plus. We have $2 million in it, $2 million and change. Uh, the community's got money in it. And then uh, the electric cooperative has money in it. Well, you're talking about innovation there. Uh, obviously, the power team is an innovative resource. What other innovation and retooling of companies and organizations are you seeing out there that's been exciting in the midst of some of the doom and gloom? Well, people are getting used to, real used to working uh, remotely. 
the, the Zoom conference calls, uh, that technology has been really helpful. We're actually taking our conference that we do every spring in Hilton Head, 200 people that attend that event, and we had to cancel. But we've decided to put it online, and we'll just do, we're doing EDR from afar. So everybody will be able to dial in from Zoom. Uh, we'll have up to 200 participants on an Internet-based platform participating in our conference. We, our staff had worked so hard on content, we hated to just not do it at all. Um, and tell us about and the, your staff. Who are your project managers? Project managers are our, our global business development divisions headed by Warren Darby. Warren is a recovering Department of Commerce employee. <laughs> We've actually got two of them. Uh, he's been phenomenal. He started with us as a project manager and then rolled into senior VP. Great communicator, great at staying on top of projects, getting information out to the right people, making sure the right people are at the table at the right time, which is big in our business. Jason Speak is a senior project manager for us. And then he's also from Department of Commerce and formerly from NISA. And then Angeline Smith, who used to be with CRDA. They make up our global business development team. And uh, the sale, uh, proposed sale of Santee Cooper is obviously on hold. Does that uh, impact y'all at all, or is that irrelevant to you? I think it's mostly irrelevant to us. Where, where any of that really would impact us is how it impacts us on price of power over time. But our leadership has said, keep selling. Our cooperatives are super committed to to growth in their communities. They've experienced success um, and they like it. And we, we are seeing a, what these projects do financially for our system and for our members. And it's all good. So what's happening under the dome has not impacted our efforts. Good. We have 57 seconds left. Anything more you'd like to add? No, I, I, I would like to just say that um, we're super grateful for um, the leadership that we have uh, the resources that they've given, the role that we get to play with our communities, we feel is meaningful. We just want to be an essential partner. So we try to put resources in the right places. Well, we appreciate your time. Before we let you go, though, we know you're an avid road biker. Do you have a Peloton account name or anything we should be following? Do you still get out and uh, <laughs> hit the road every once in a while? Well, it's funny as I'm sitting in my truck at the Columbiana Mall in Irmo uh, doing laps out here since the mall's closed. It's the safest place to ride. So I've just doing, been doing circles since uh, 10 o'clock this morning. Well, we appreciate you. And I think a belated happy birthday, too. I think you celebrated one just recently. I did. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Stay, stay, or, yeah, stay safe out there with, for you and the team. And um, be safe on the road, too. Thank you. Bye-bye. I appreciate you all having me on. Thank you, and thanks for everybody listening to The Buzz today. We hope you can stay with us for our next episode on The Buzz.